Say that podcast for your big questions, get real answers. My name is Matt King. I'm your host here in the city of Chicago, and joining me here is Glenn Fitzgerald, the president of Mission USA. I'm laying down some pretty sweet rhythms as I'm drumming with my hands, Jerry. Uh, can't really hear it on the mic, but it's pretty sweet. You're doing it. Yeah. He's a one man revival of Stomp. <laughs> Everybody remember Stomp? Yeah, that was great. Also joining us, Jed Brewer, the director of Mission USA Productions. I celebrate Glenn's paradiddles. <laughs> you better believe it. I hope that clears up soon. Joining us all the way from Mercury, Tennessee, one of the pastors of Christ Community Church, Lee Younger. If I'm not wrong, this is an interview episode, and in all interview episodes, Glenn has musical interludes that the listeners never get to experience. That's right. Are you saying today maybe a drum solo instead of the traditional scat singing? Well, I, you know, I don't, I don't know about that because I know how much you guys really appreciate the really high falsetto scat that I lay down uh-huh. every time we do, because like. The interview rolls. Right. If people at home are hearing it, but we're not hearing it. Right. You guys are are treated to just like a musical masterpiece. That's right. That I just yeah. freestyle. Yeah, that's right. During the during the break there. Especially fun for me when I forget that you did it and I'm editing the episode later and my ears drums almost explode. <laughs> yeah. I think I think that we don't get to hear the interviews because interviews only exist in the future. That's right. That's, that's exactly uh-huh. right. I'll tell you what I can tell you for sure. This is scientifically proven. Glenn sits a normal several inches away from the microphone for talking. For scatting, he somehow gets inside it. That's right. <laughs> in a way in which you can see that waveform pretty much explode in a way that may violate Apple's terms of service if we actually put it on the produce show. But none of that matters because I have to declare an emergency. What? Whoa. What? Yeah. Wait, what? Is everything Okay. No, everything's upside down, topsy-turvy. Oh. Okay. Black is white, up is down. Our friends from, uh, it's, it's March Madness. Yeah. yeah. It's, you know, we're, we're, as we record this, they, they've just finished the, the Elite Eight games. We figure out who's in the Final Four. And one of those teams is from Loyola, Chicago. Let, let me explain everything you just said to, to Jed. Mm. This is sports. Okay. And so multiple sport? No, just one with uh-huh. a ball, and that's that's probably about all that you'll you'll get. So I'm already confused and lost. Right. So it's it's just sport. Okay. Okay. Yes, but I can I can tie this, and we don't we don't get into sport shaming. Right. But we do, right. I can tie this into something Jed has a lot of experience with. Ah. Uh. And that's the stern, disapproving looks of church ladies. Oh, I definitely know all about that. <laughs> Tell me more. Now you may have not before this particular tournament heard of Loyola in Chicago because it's a fairly small school. Right. Um, I believe they're at the Missouri Valley Conference. Okay. Not one of your bigger programs. They defeated the much larger, but eh, not as august University of Tennessee on the way there. But they're going to their first Final Four, and they've got now. A bit uh, of this... Where did you go to college? Wow. I went to Tennessee, but they did not have a basketball program when I was there. Maybe they did, but no one can prove it. Now, now Lee, <laughs> where did you go to school? Uh, I started at the University of Tennessee, Knoxville. Well, there you go. And how far did the University of Houston Cougars make it in the tournament? Well, did they get knocked out in the exact same round as Tennessee? I, I don't think we need to talk about that. All right, fair <laughs> enough. So, uh, the, and this is that uh, you may notice, want to know a little behind the scenes that one of our uh, our friends from Triple C were a few of them were up here last week helping us out, and uh, one of the pastors at the bridge decided he'd get in a little dig wow. too. Yeah, yeah, and it landed pretty hard. Yeah, I'm not gonna lie. But we need to get inside this because I believe that Loyola is deploying a secret weapon. Oh. One may be banned by the NCAA, may be banned by the Geneva Convention. We don't know. Okay. And that's Sister Jean. Uh Uh-oh. People may be aware Loyola has one of their biggest fans and a lady who has some kind of, I think, relation to the program. She actually does scouting for them or something. I think she does. Like I think she's like uh, 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 like their chaplain. And that may be it, too. Because she is a nun, a yeah. 98-year-old nun at wow. that. Now, as I pointed out to some of my friends on the internets when, uh, when Loyola beat Tennessee, we all could have warned you because Chicago nuns are scary. That's right. They will whack you with a ruler. They really will. Definitely. Too sweet. And tell you not to come back until you've redeemed yourself. I, I've seen that in a documentary film. Absolutely. But here's the thing. Is it possible that our friends at Loyola found a way to weaponize and apply Church ladies. Oh, man. Wow. Whoa. And what 
implications and applications could this have for wider society? That's right. Well, let me just tell you this right now. Uh, I do a certain number of gigs around town, you know, and one of the... Like puppeteering and whatnot? Well, I hope to expand to that, but... <laughs> and miming, both, sure. both of those. But uh, Do you from, feel called to a miming ministry? <laughs> I, uh, dude, I will mime up some ministry. You know I bet you will. People will be getting saved when I'm miming. He's yeah. trapped in a box of his own greed. Right? Yeah. It just sells itself. Yeah. I mean, I, you know. Sure, trying to co- overcome obstacles is like walking against the wind. Yeah, put a little tinkly music in the <laughs> background. Forget about it. Yeah. Like you put on a Christian song and I just mime it out. Sure. Is it specifically kind of a stereotypical French cover of a Christian song where it's one that you know from K-Love, but it's played with kind of a minor key right, um, you know, accordion. accordion. Yeah, 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 the whole thing. But here's what I'm saying. For now, I'm mostly gigging by doing speaking engagements. Oh. A lot of those are uh, in Chicago will be held at like retreat centers. Okay. And a lot of those are owned by the Catholic church. Ah, so I've sure, had, they have land. I have more than the usual interaction with nuns of the Chicago area. Of the Chicago area, and I assure you, right, they do not play. No, you well, want to be on the good side, right, of those ladies. Would you say that they are in favor of your particular shenanigans? No, definitely. They they see me coming from a long ways away. I can I assure you that. How do they feel about your burgeoning my ministry? Not good. Okay. It's it's just just too much nonsense all the way around. Okay. How do they feel about your almost comically Irish surname, but you not being Catholic? Yeah, they they really don't like that. <laughs> okay. They they they're praying for me to you know come back to the fold. Sure. There, you know. So here's the thing. I, I I want us to to meditate on. I think this is where we can really make the breakthrough. What else could we apply this to? Sure. Here's the thing. Loyola is not a big school. Not a storied basketball season. Uh, not a storied basketball career. But you put this nun in the stands, everybody stands up a little straighter. Yeah. Probably works right. a little harder in practice. Yeah. Because they just want to get those darn judgmental eyes off them. That's right. All right. <laughs> Where else can we apply this? Where else can we increase productivity along the way? Jed, do you have an idea? And do you mean specifically in a church context or just in society? Whatever we got. Let's, let's, you know, these. We got a lot of these ladies. Let's let's think big. Well, let me start with a church application just to get the ball rolling. Please do. All right. So I'm I have been known from time to time to engage in the leading of the worship. Oh, right? okay. uh, and lead. Is that worship of anything in particular? I'm sorry. Worship of anything in particular? Usually my <laughs> ego, sometimes other things. Okay. But Lee also has has been employed as a leader of the mm-hmm. worship. Now, from time to time, you're leading the musics, and um, you'll have people who I would describe their level of participation as suboptimal. Right. You know, they're not mm-hmm. really clapping. They're not really giving it their all. Would I you know. say that that's almost always someone of a fairly uh, light skin complexion? Hmm. I can neither confirm nor deny at this juncture. Like super whitey, whitey. <laughs> can you confirm or deny the actual words leaving your lips at the bridge? We are not going to stop singing this song until everyone's clapping white people in the front row. I'm talking to you. That is a direct quote. But now here's the thing. Think how much fewer problems we would have of this type. Right. If we had Sister Jean standing behind them, ruler in hand. Wow. wow. Done. This is genius. And here's the thing I like about it most as far as a disruptor. Yeah. It's a pretty small tweak. Right. Because here's the thing about when I've been to church, a lot of the, the ladies, they have the, these particular type of you know folk, they have their seat. Right. 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 Their seat is normally either in the back because they got to, you know, they'll go with kids, you got to do a thing, mm-hmm. or it's kind of in the front. Right. Or they, it's a direct line between them and the stage, nothing going on. And the problem with that is there's no one getting caught in the crossfire. That's right. Yeah. We need, yeah, we need either them directly behind the worship leader glaring, mm-hmm. or wow. let me pitch this because you, you got your PowerPoints and pro presenters, you got the lyrics, just a little picture in picture. Yes. Right. <laughs> so there's a camera right on them. Yeah. yeah. Just scowling. Yeah. They're clapping. Right. They're looking around at you not clapping. Right. And they're letting their displeasure be known. Yeah. Okay. I'm, let me just take, because what we're doing is we're escalating. We each, that is how it tends to go on this show, yes. We, each idea builds on the next one. <laughs> they don't get better, but they do get more severe. <laughs> now, here's what happens is in, in these really uh, amazing churches, they call them mega churches. Ooh. Mm. Now, you're thinking, does that mean they're mega good? Well, no. Okay. Is That's, it because they have gauntlets that shoot laser beams like Mega Man? Uh, you're getting warmer. 
Oh. They're they're mega in the sense of uh the there's just a lot of people there. Right. Are right. there literally it... a million people? Uh no. Ah, so it's a lie then. Yeah. Is okay. it because they can turn into other types of robots like Megatron? No, that's although that that's would disappointing. be let's see let's maybe you know table that as a possible future idea. But here's what I'm saying in the in these mega churches what you have in some of them because you really need this is an overhead cable cam. Right. Yeah. Now, for people who aren't familiar in in sports, they will have yes, only the you only and only the oh. NFL because they're the only ones who can afford it. I think they're doing that with the European football, though. Oh, really? Maybe I don't know, but it's like you have they a stadium, and it's like you string a wire over the field itself, and then a camera just slides along the cable. You get the up angle down. from the over middle of the field where you couldn't see before. Yeah. So you so you need a camera swooping over your congregation pointing directly down during worship because Clearly. of it enhances <laughs> the experience. Ah. Right. Right. Um so that's that you know the, some churches choose to do that. Well right. as you're pointing out, if you got a sister Jean in the audience riding herd, right. keeping everybody in line. Right. Uh, ruler in hand, just whooping behind wherever necessary in order to, you know, uh, you know, beat them in, until morale improves. Well, okay. Word for the British Navy. Here's what I'm saying. If you simply wire the proper harness, you can <laughs> fly Sister Jean or whoever. Cable You're nuns. talking about... Cable nun. Yes. The, claw, the claw-like game... Yeah. At the arcade, where yeah. it reaches in and grabs a thing, and she, yeah, you she, got a joystick, and you just you just swoop her over. <laughs> whoever kind of somebody's kind of nodding off, you just yeah. drop her in the seat next yeah. to him, sharp elbow in the ribs. Yeah, but then kind of like she's repelling out, gives yeah. a tug on the the line, and up right. she goes. Yeah, that's Hold exactly on. right. This is about to get better because, uh, as you know, the 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 big churches they like to bring in the sweet sweet cash. Yeah, and right. so here's the deal is. If you are like a, a a huge giver, then you get to use the joystick next Sunday. Oh, oh that's yeah. good. That's good. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, I, I think we got a winner of an idea. Here, I would folks. show up to church to experience cable nun. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, and if it's really bad, we just repel a team of them in there, like SEAL Team Six. That's right, and they just snatch and grab. Right. Wow. And pull you to the black site part of the campus. That's it. And just adjust your attitude. Yeah. 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 One of the one of the other possibilities we haven't really explored is the idea of could a sister Jean type figure just fix Christian dating? Ooh. Just yeah, like just that. Yenta the matchmaker. Yeah. Everybody yes. has to apply. Jean hooks everybody up. Everybody goes on the dates. The whole thing is is just workshopped solved. Yeah. That's that's brilliant. So it's the it's the classic uh, Glenn, lock the doors. No yeah. one's getting out until couple skating happens. Right. Yep. But with a ruler. Yeah. Yeah. She just she just just beats on people with a ruler until they get married. <laughs> I could create some other problems that a couple's counselor would have to go deep. Right. To fix and resolve. But that's later. but that's that's later, later on problem. Solve yeah. one problem at a time here, folks. Just, yeah. Just smack them. And then get married. I think we've got it. Boom. And at the very least, your free throw percentage will... Unless that basis, I declare a mini side emergency. <laughs> okay. Here's what I'm talking about. Uh, this past week, uh, we had a uh, uh, lead as people were up here, as mentioned, and yes. we got a chance to meet our stalkers. Yeah. As you know, this uh, <laughs> this podcast we have... That was such a cheery tone of voice. We have two stalkers. <laughs> and let me tell you what. Other other podcasts might have stalkers if they're really super amazing. Maybe. Probably they don't. Sure. We do. This is just not the right tone to talk about uh, stalkers. Let me in. tell you another thing about our... And they're not stalkers. They're very nice people who help us out. Well, this is what I'm saying. Our stalkers are the most adorable stalkers you they ever stalk saw. They stalk well. I mean, it's like, it's it's amazing. Okay. So uh, after the, the so they came to the bridge to help us out there, everything's great. We're having a good time. Uh, they got a chance to meet Lee, and that was exciting. And then uh, I'm driving them to the train stop after the service, and I'm talking about Matt. And I, our say, stalkers ride the rails. That's they, right. exactly right. I'm talking about Matt, and I said, you know, and we're going kind of going over the different people and the staff. And this guy's great. This gal's great. This person's wonderful. 
And I said, you know, it, 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 when it comes to Matt, if I could clone Matt, boy, I'd be happy. That would be mm. the best thing in the world. Just uh, everything more does. Matt. Uh, more Matt would be great. And uh, one of our stalkers mentioned, <laughs> well, you know what? The Bible does say, be fruitful and multiply. Oh, my word. So you, you could just simply make more mats. Yes. In the a biblical. genetic sense. Yeah, in a biblically prescribed way. So if Matt likes the Bible, I think that means he needs to start making babies. Yeah. That's that's according to our stalkers. <laughs> right. You're not saying I'm that. I'm not saying that. The stalkers are saying that. The super fans who love this podcast are demanding that he have babies. Uh, on that basis, I care a side emergency off. Sure. Here's the thing, dear listener. I want to let you behind the curtain here. Um, the 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 three pot the three hosts of this show in Chicago spent a lot of time together. Yeah. Um, since that conversation happened, Glenn and I uh, ate dinner together. And, yep. Um, I was given a ride back to his house and conversed several times via text, right. phone. Yeah. Um, that's the first I've heard of that story. Yeah. <laughs> he sat on that one for a good five full days. Yep. Yeah. Just to spring it on us in that moment. Yep. 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 So. Sure. Seems great. Move on. <laughs> well, if we're going to harness old ladies into a very sophisticated repelling system. Yes. Mm-hmm. We're going to need to R&D that. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. We're going to need some brave, maybe people who have other conditions. Yeah. Because, you know. A memory condition wouldn't hurt here. Right. If you would not remember that last time we dropped you, I think that would really help out. So we're going to need an R&D team, really. Cause there's, tensile strength. There's tensile sure. strength. You know, you got to engineer the harness. You got to engineer the carabiners. It's, it's a whole thing. Right. So we're going to need some R&D money. And uh, I think we're going to have a hard time talking our current deacons right. into helping us Definitely. dangle old ladies over church. Yeah, they yeah. won't go for that. Absolutely. So we might need some new uh, folks to help us out with that, but that's okay because our deacons are entirely funded by, by Bridgebox. Ooh. And it's folks like yourselves who kindly give small sum of money every month so that we can have folks who help people hook up, up with jobs, housing, uh, 12-step meetings, uh, all sorts of great stuff, drive them to church on Sunday morning, do lots of amazing work, and also supports some of the stuff that Lee does down there with the use on missionusa.com slash bridgebox. We are just closing out the month of March where our topic was, how do I leave shame behind? And sermons from Glenn and myself, music from Jed, from Lee, from some other friends, including the ever elusive pool house guru, all sorts of great stuff for only a minimum donation of $8 a month. Check it out. Missionusa.com slash bridgebox. All right, we're gonna jump to our first question here. It comes in anonymously, and it says, My personality is very outgoing. This lends itself well to leadership and teaching positions, but it has its pitfalls. I know I'm prone to teaching Bible studies out of my own self-study and expositing the text, (laughs) and people seem to like it. Once, I was leading a youth group for a year, and it was growing, but as soon as I moved away, that youth group died. I felt very bad. How do leaders and teachers ensure that their teaching is from the Spirit and not from themselves? And uh, I actually like this question a lot. I think it's a, it's a different angle. We get a fair amount, number of questions from folks who say, you know, I'm very, I'm very maybe a little introverted, maybe a little on the shy side, and that has uh, some, some good sides and some bad sides. But I think this is one of the first times we've gotten something from the other side of that. So I think there's a lot of good stuff here. And Lee, why don't you start us off? I'd love to. And I think one of the interesting things about this for me is that it, it people do have a tendency to think a certain type of personality is the personality that is going to have successful ministry um and and to be honest that's a just kind of a misunderstanding of what uh, of how ministry works um it makes sense uh, so when i say it's a misunderstanding don't take that the wrong way i think it makes sense when you look at certain things in a natural way you would think you know real outgoing people who are captivating magnetic they're going to have success in ministry in ways that maybe uh f- folks that are more shy and stuff like that won't but what I would say is, no matter what your personality, if you're looking for um, a successful ministry, um, one of the things that, that I would start out by saying is to always make your ministry about the people that you're reaching. Now, that's one of those things that sounds kind of obvious. It's kind of like a duh type of thing, but uh, it's, it's less obvious than you think. 
a lot of folks spend a lot of time getting ready for, you know, the lesson that they're going to bring or the Bible study that they're going to share or something like that. Uh, sometimes you, you read about pastors who spend, you know, uh, 10, 20, 30 hours of the week working on their the sermon that they're going to give, uh, which is a very tiny part of their work week. That, that, that sermon is such a small part of their ministry. It should be such a small part of their ministry. The ministry should be about so many other things. And what I'm saying is don't make your priority in ministry your teaching. Make your priority the needs of the people that you're reaching. That's a different thing. Um, let your teaching and the things that you're going to do flow out of the needs of the people that you're reaching where they are, the things that they're feeling that they need help with. And what I mean by that is make your, make your, put your energy and your time into serving people, into meeting the needs that they feel right now that they have. And one of the reasons on that is that like 10 years from now, the people that you minister to, they're not going to remember any sermon that you gave or any Bible study lesson that you taught. They're not going to be quoting the things that you said. What they're going to remember is the people who loved them. That's the thing that sticks. That's the difference that 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 really you know has an impact on people's lives. Um, I've been in ministry for a long time now, and the people. Um, that come back years and years later who are grown and married and have kids who were in my youth ministry, they come back and they're not quoting old le- Bible study lessons. They're talking about times that we spent together and, and times that they came to me with a problem and we prayed together and we figured that out. That's the basis of those relationships, not the, if I taught a good Bible study lesson or, 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 or not. So I would say make the the focus of your ministry the needs of the people that you're reaching. Know them well enough to know what their actual needs are. Meet them there in the midst of those actual needs. Make them the focus. Make everything start with them and not your teaching, your lesson, your sermon, your sound bites, whatever. Make it about them, and that's the ministry that's going to have a lasting effect years and years from now. That's fantastic. I think that's a great way to open this up to cover a lot of the basics and the, a lot of good ground on this. And Jed, with so Lee did such a great job kind of covering the overall on this. Let's let's look at some specific, specific parts. I know English. Some specific parts of what's going on in this question. And I'd love for you to fo- focus specifically on this. Uh, I was there. We built up a pretty good youth group, and I left, and it uh, the theological term is crapped out. Ah, yes. So um, not, un- not uncommon in youth ministry when we're on that. When something's on a four-year turnover necessarily, this could have been some other things going. But how do, you, how do we specifically, as people in missions, and we on this podcast would definitely group mo- almost all youth ministry in with missions. It's going yeah. to you know, a different place. How do we who are in missions try to make sure that doesn't happen when we, because that happens a lot with us. You know, we may be in a chapel service at a division at the county jail and— um, that's got a ticking clock. They're going to need a new person there. There's going to be a new whole thing. We might not be able to go in there. So how do we work on making sure that the work we do carries on, even if we can't be there? It's a great question. Well, as a, as a way of beginning, why don't we actually look at the concept of parenting for a second? If you read um, you know, psychologists and counselors and family therapists um, who write on what does it mean to be a good parent, what does a good parent do? One of the things that they talk about is that a good parent, in a long-term sense, is trying to put themselves out of a job. They're, they're trying to make themselves unnecessary, to get this child to grow and mature and develop to a point where they, they actually don't need someone to parent them anymore. They can, they can live their own life. And I say that because actually good ministry works a very, very similar way. Ministry is in many ways about putting yourself out of a job if you're doing it properly and from a mission standpoint. Um, if you talk to missionaries, uh, you might hear them talk about the idea of multiplying yourself or reproducing yourself. And it's exactly that kind concept. It's that idea of putting yourself out of a job. So it's saying, I have a youth group. We're going to have a Bible study. We're going to have some get-togethers. But my goal is to pick you know, a couple of key people and really invest in them and invest in their growth and in their development to the point where if I got hit by a bus tomorrow, they could lead this youth group and there wouldn't be a problem. Um, if I um, got called to another place, if I got sick, if the um, church fired me, which happens a lot in youth groups, uh, you know, but if I was suddenly taken out of the situation, there are people here who I've invested in and prepared to lead on, to keep going. That's the classic missions view 
of really all missions. But if that's a new idea, it's worth looking at why that might be a new idea. Most of late 20th century Christian culture, um, really definitely in America, but but in most places around the globe, is at this point focused on the idea of a celebrity pastor. There is one person who is super awesome and super anointed and super gifted, and just the church would be happy to tell you that. You may not know how super awesome he is. It's it's like he's mega awesome. Like, your guy might be awesome. Wow. Right. But this guy is more so. Wow. Yeah, it's, that, you should be impressed. Yeah. So, what you want to do is you want to show up to check out how awesome he is, because he's, he's pretty great. He's pretty terrific. Right, right. The problem with this is that as, in, you know, it's a crude term, but as a business model, pretty much precludes the idea of raising someone else up who could be just as awesome as he is. Right. We actually don't want that because that's bad for business. We got one guy who's awesome. He's the awesome guy. Well, there's like a limited supply of awesome. Right. So if he gets awesome too, then that's like less awesome for me. That's that's the first law of awesome. Exactly right. right. It's conservation of awesome. Awesome could either be created nor destroyed. <laughs> that, again, if you're trying to make money off of religiously themed uh, publishing, then that does make a certain bit of sense. But that's not ministry. Uh, and if you're leading a youth group, that's definitely not what you want to do. If you're leading a youth group, you want to do almost the polar opposite of this. It's not about me being awesome in any way, shape, or form, even a little bit. It's about helping other people be awesome. It's about, you know, raising up some people who are younger than me or coming behind me, teaching them, discipling them, helping them learn how to walk with the Lord, and teaching them how to lead a Bible study, teaching them how to give a talk, teaching them how to do um, some outreach so that they become the stars of the show. Uh, And then they pass that on to the people who are coming up behind them. If you do that... Um, a, you're doing really amazing world-class missions, but the other thing is you can leave and that youth group will keep on ticking and keep going and keep going and keep going. And that is the goal. It's really, really great stuff. And Glenn, I'd love to get you to look at the, another aspect of what's going on here to say, you know, I, uh, I gave the talks, uh, you know, kind of my, my, maybe my own personality and people seem to like them, mm-hmm. which is maybe not the best goal for a talk, but right. it's one I think we all default to when we don't have another goal for yeah. presenting content in that way. So I think it's where Lee started us off when we're doing upfront stuff is maybe where we're, where people are most prone to think this needs to be a particular way and it needs to be charismatic and mm-hmm. entertaining. And that's a goal into itself. So uh, where would we say to that idea? Well, you know, another sort of, you know, part of what we're bringing up here, are our ministry strategies, ministry concepts here. One of the main things we talk with, really all churches about is you've got a certain amount of time that's that needs to be devoted to just study of scripture for each person each individual and and the church needs to facilitate a certain amount of that and a certain amount of time for life application so that the the total picture ought to be fellowship which is super important maybe the most uh behind that prayer time you need prayer time you need worship time uh bible study and and a time where you're being discipled and that's that's part of what Jed was talking about as well with the multiplying yourself. You're raising other people up. Well, okay, so um, it, there are pastors who will say, I like to just preach straight Bible from the pulpit. Okay, there's nothing inherently wrong with that, that, that you just turn it into a Bible study, which is a thing. You can do that if you, if you want. And some people like that okay. But I have to have a, a small group experience or something else where there's a life application element to that. A Sunday school class. Sunday school class. Uh, it can be a home cell group, any of that kind of stuff. So that works. If you, if you cover both of those bases, that's fine. And whatever strategy you want to use on that, that's fine. Our, our thing is to help churches make sure they're doing both, yep. you know, both life application and Bible. I would suggest if you cover life application from the pulpit in a large group things, so even if it's a, a youth group that you're doing your big group talk on life application, then that means when you're doing the discipleship piece, you're starting on round two with everybody because you've covered some of the big basics. Uh, I like the idea of Bible study in a group where people can participate and mm. put their iron sharpening, iron comments in there and stuff, and we learn through discussing uh, Scripture. Uh, but some people, you know, they want to do their Bible time at home by themselves, and there's nothing wrong with that, and you, if you can sort of facilitate that as a church, that's fine. So I think, 
first and foremost, it's about for you looking at what what was your goal with this group, and and what are yeah. you doing now? Uh, right. it, there's nothing wrong with saying we just want to do straight Bible with that. Okay, that's fine. Um, but uh, those people needed all along to have a separate discipleship thing, a life mm-hmm. application thing, and some fellowship stuff somewhere else. If they weren't getting that, that's that's that that was a problem, mm-hmm. no matter how many people showing up for Bible study. If you were doing sort of life application stuff, then the focus, as Jed is saying, it should have been on uh, multiplying yourself. And if this is a thing where we're getting into the Bible, where we're talking about how to apply it to our lives— then um, that's about growing together and, 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 and moving forward in a discipleship-type context. So I should have some core group members, some uh, people that I'm raising up in leadership so that they can take over that Bible study. And they know what I'm doing, how I'm doing it. Why I'm doing why it. Why I'm doing it. They understand the goals. They know how I put these lessons together. They can go through and do that. And I've led them in doing that. I've had them teach and you know walked with them and that kind of stuff. So I think... Uh, really, all of that gets away from that uh, that sense of uh, I, I'm the star of the show that these other fellows are talking about, and gets us closer to this idea of dealing with the whole picture of everything that this person uh, needs. If you feed them, they will come. That's mm-hmm. the universal thing. Uh, I th- that's 30 years of ministry talking right there. If you feed them, people will come. You you won't have to worry about numbers. Absolutely right. I think that's all a lot of really, really good stuff. And like, again, this is a direct quote, a lot of stuff we talk about with you kind of being a little bit more introverted and it doesn't do you any good to just revert to what feels comfortable and assume that that's what you need to do. If you're, if we, we often do a lot of talking about how if you're a, a shy person, there's going to come a time we need to get over that and um, push through and do some other things. And it's the same thing goes. If you're the person who just loves being in front of a crowd and loves, you know, Having you know high energy stuff, there you know, you you're gonna have to push yourself to do some one on one conversations, some stuff we're talking about here, and do it a little quieter to explain your thought process, to not mm-hmm. worry about getting laughs or getting the big reaction, whatever that is. That's all good. That's all part of growing. But one of the things uh, Glenn talks a lot about, ministry he does with it, with his staff and with uh, our people volunteer with us is uh, when you have a strength, just go ahead and take that strength, put it in your pocket. You have it. It's there. Mm-hmm. Work on the weaknesses. Work on the other stuff, and that's how you really get to a next level. You don't get to the next level by just taking that strength from an A++ to an A++++. Right. You do it by taking the thing you're kind of a D at and moving right. that to a C. That's right. where some real, real stuff happens. All right, move on to our next question here. It comes in a non-fleet and it says, I want to serve the Lord, but when people talk about that, it's always people who do it for a living, pastors and such. How much can you really serve God if you're only doing it on nights and weekends? Now, mm. dear listener, you may say, well, that sounds like a problem for all four of you who right. are all in professional <laughs> vocational ministry, how are the Say That Boys going to get themselves out of this jam? Mm. It turns out we've taken a little bit of our own advice, turned to someone who knows more about something than us. Ah! And not only do we ask them, we're just going to play you what they said. Jed sat down with his wife, Hallie, who is in this exact situation, does a lot of awesome ministry uh, for us at the bridge, outside of the bridge with the ladies we work with, but has a normal nine-to-five job. So he sat down Talk to her for a few minutes about that. Lots of amazing stuff. And we'll take you to that right now. All right. We are here in a world's first on the Say That podcast. We have easily, for me, my favorite interview guest of all time (laughs) because it's my wife, Hallie Brewer. Hallie, welcome to the program. How are you today? Okay. So. Hallie is here to help answer some questions for us. And here's the question. I want to serve the Lord, but when people talk about that, it's always people who do it for a living, people like pastors and worship leaders and such. How much can you really serve God if you're only doing it on nights and weekends? So you're in this position where um, ministry is not what pays your income, but you do a lot of ministry. I mean, like a lot. So what would you say to this person who's asking this question about how much ministry can you really do when it's not your job? Well, the short answer is, as you said, a lot. Okay. But but I didn't start there. Um, as you mentioned, I am not in vocational ministry, never have been. Um, and my background actually is I started my work, adult work life in the military. So 
Um, that's actually where I met the Lord and started building a relationship with him. Spent a lot of time thinking about things in Iraq, as you do. Sure. And, uh, and as I got to know the Lord, it, as it turns out, comes up a lot. Um, he cares a lot about helping people that are hurting and down and out and poor and, you know, going through hard time. And as I started to finish my time in the military, I had in my mind that, well, what that must mean is, guess I better go do this and that's all I do. Mm. And then um, I got out of the military and as it turns out, like you have to pay bills and things <laughs> when you get out of the army. And uh, so I got a job as kind of a, while well, I'm figuring things out kind of deal. And started to volunteer at the bridge because I still really wanted to serve and get to know what kind of work the Lord uh, uh, wanted me to do and uh, loved working with the bridge, loved serving the people at the bridge. I may have met somebody very special while volunteering at the bridge. That guy sounds pretty amazing. (laughs) But there was still this sense of, but surely at some point I have to like quit this other stuff so that then I'll be like legit right. in ministry. Right? right, right. Okay, well let's let's jump ahead to present day. I, I have already previewed foreshadowing <laughs> that uh, you don't work in vocational ministry, but you do a lot of ministry. And you're talking about that sense of I want to feel legit, and in my mind, legit is I I have to do this for a living. This has to be the only thing that I do, and kind of to the exclusion of everything else. Like you're saying, I think it is fair to say. I mean, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I think it's fair <laughs> to say that you don't struggle with feeling legit today. This is this is correct. Okay. I, I do not. So that transition from I feel like I'm not legit and I'm afraid I won't be to I I I do a ton of ministry and I'm not concerned about whether I'm legit. I know I am. In fact, there's almost not enough time for all the ministry that I want to do and and can fit in a given week. There you go. So that emotional transition from being afraid that I'm I'm not really, really doing this for real to, oh, that's not a concern. Um, was that a, a sudden shift? Was that a gradual thing? Did, was there one thing that happened that, that allowed that? Or was it a bunch of little things? How did that work? Uh, well, it was a little bit of everything. Um, it was a, mostly a lot of little things. But one key mindset shift that really made a difference is um, we were doing some ministry training with with you, with Glenn, to learn how do we serve the women at the bridge better. Okay. And one of the concepts that came out of that was that ministry is helping hurting people with with who you are, where you're at, what you've got, um, and that that's it's a one-on-one conversation. It, ministry is not just the dude on the mic on Sunday morning. Okay. That's an important part of a faith life. Sure. You know, but ministry really is not just the the sparkly man in the tight t-shirt playing the guitar on Sunday morning. Sure, all the he is we all love we all love him, but yes. you know Trevor's Nito. Trevor Trevor's Nito, but I think that kind of freed me up to start saying, well, I'm still not convinced that I can let go of the I have to be in full time ministry, but what if I started doing some extra things that I've got a little extra time. And you actually pointed out to me, you know, because I love baking. Okay, you know, and and are the people at Mission USA like receiving my baked goods? Well, that is true. But you said, well, what if, what if you brought some cookies to a guy that's just getting out of jail, mm. you know, and you pointed out most of the gentlemen that we work with at the bridge probably have never had someone just bake them homemade cookies, which yeah. was kind of a, a bit of a mind blow for me because I grew up where everyone has had homemade cookies. And that's just, that's, of <laughs> that's course, what, you do. what are you talking about? It's Tuesday. And so I did. And, you know, there's a very sweet gentleman at the bridge who, you know, he'd just gotten released from jail and he was in a new program. And to celebrate, made him some homemade oatmeal cookies. Okay. And it was one of those where it was almost to me, I'm like, yeah, okay, I'll just make you some cookies. It wasn't a big deal. But, you know, for him, the there's this clearly the sense of Somebody took the time to do this thing, which to him felt monumental. To mm-hmm. me, I, I bake all the time, so it didn't feel like a big deal. Mm-hmm. But it, it said something to him about being supported and encouraged, and someone was thinking about him and believing in him in some way, even though okay. for me it's just, I just make cookies like I do. Okay. Well, let me try and read back to you, because I, I think you're saying something really profound. I want to make sure that, that everybody's listening Here's it very, very clearly because you make an amazing point. So you're saying there's this kind of transitional moment where you begin to to recognize that ministry in many ways, like real transformative ministry in people's lives, is actually kind of a simple thing that you have yeah. a person 
and they have a struggle uh, and, and that they have a thing going on in their lives and kind of in their heart and brain that's keeping them from a closer walk with the Lord. And that all ministry really is, is figuring out how do we kind of take that obstacle out of the way so that they are able to kind of take the next step on their journey with the Lord. Yeah, definitely. And that it, most of the time that happens in the context of a one-on-one relationship. Mm-hmm. And that in a sense, anybody can do that. You don't need a building or a sound system or a degree or any of those things. You can you can just use who you are, as you as you put it. You know, you can use who you are, where you are, what you have, and you can you point that at helping another person get unstuck. But it sounds like part of what you're saying with the cookies is a really cool example. Is what matters here is not does it feel deep and spiritual to me as the person doing it. It's does it feel deep and significant to the person who's receiving it. Yes, exactly, exactly. Well, tell me more about that, because, so you're saying for you, it's, dude, I bake cookies, it's not, I mean, I do this dude, in my it's sleep. Cookies. what are we it, talking about? Well, but I'm sensing, I'm guessing, and I happen to know the answer, <laughs> that maybe that wasn't the case for the people receiving these cookies. Right, right, and and that was really the moment where I started to then reevaluate, well, where else can I love on people, where else can I meet a need, even if it's something like, they need diapers for their baby or, you know, or, um, I, there's an elderly woman at the church who really could use her sidewalk shoveled where, yeah, none of these are spiritual things in and of themselves, but for the people receiving them, it's meeting something that matters to them or it's communicating something that no one else is telling them, you know? So the gentleman who received the cookies, he actually, uh, you know, actually due to like a paperwork error ended up having to go get locked up again for a little while and so he would write to us and he would talk about these cookies for months and months mm-hmm. and then he came back of course and there were more cookies for him sure but it had it had cemented in his mind that there were people who loved him and as a result then he felt he was part of this family in this community and he, then the people like you and glenn and our other mission usa folks who are talking to them you know from the front He's more open to hearing what that's what that's saying, and I think he's more open to believing that maybe God could feel that way about him too. Okay, so you're saying that there are these these kind of big, weighty spiritual things he's struggling to believe. Uh, God accepts me. A mm-hmm. community of, of believers would accept me, but but these are really hard to believe. These yep. are really hard to take in. And what we need is something that can break down that reluctance to believe, something that, that can free him to say, no, actually, I think God does love me. I think maybe this community of faith does accept me. And that in a very unexpected way, a, a what you or I would consider a simple gesture of, of food, for him is one of those linchpin things of, wow, maybe these people really do see me as a part of their family. Yeah, definitely. For a person who uh, maybe they can't bake, uh, that, that is not their giftedness, um, but they, they live in another part of the world, they, you know, um, they're just living their own life. As they look around kind of in, in Christian culture, what they see is people who give anointed words on the mic and uh, people with million-dollar voices uh, that can sing and, mm-hmm. and these kind of things. And for a person that says, I don't have any of that, I just – I'm just a, you know, I'm I'm a plain, boring, vanilla, normal person. Where do they start? If they say, I I do want to help other people, I do want to be involved in ministry, how do they begin that journey? Well, I think there's a couple of ways, one of which is everyone has something that they are good at or something that they love doing, whether whether or not it's baking cookies, you know, maybe you love writing letters, maybe you really enjoy reading, you know, everyone has something that they're good at, um, whether they've thought about applications for other people. So if you're someone, man, I just love reading. I just think mm. books are great. I guarantee you that there is a nursing home somewhere within a 20-minute radius of you where there's people who love someone to just come read to them. Okay. You know, or, uh, you know, if you're someone who really likes to write letters, there are more people locked up right now than you can imagine who would love someone to just write with, write back and forth with them and mm. give them words of encouragement. Or mm. there's, you know, there's a soup kitchen down the road from you where they need people who can just come volunteer but actually show up, mm. not just on Thanksgiving and Christmas, but... 363 other days of the year. Sure. You know, I think so looking for those little things where I can do this tomorrow. Maybe it's not the thing I do forever. Maybe it's not this earth shattering thing, but I can do this right now. And then you start to get some really cool momentum because you say, oh, I tried the soup kitchen thing. 
I didn't like all of it, but I really liked the part where I was talking to the student. I could say something nice to him. Mm. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna. Tr- how can I do more of that? Mm. You know what I mean? I love it. I think it's fantastic. Well, normally when we have these interviews, uh, there's a person. They have like a, a thing that they made that's about to come out, right? So they have mm. a, a, a new book that's really albums new, dropping. New, yeah. yeah, the albums dropping on Tuesday. Uh, that's actually true here. Hallie has chocolate chip cookies that are going to release later tonight. Uh, we're very <laughs> excited about them. Um, we're told that there may be some caramel in there, possibly some peanut butter chunks as well. Uh, so you as a listener will almost certainly not get to have them, <laughs> but I will. And that's really the key thing that I care about. So you can enjoy me enjoying Hallie's cookies that we'll be releasing later this evening. Hallie, thanks so much for joining us. My pleasure. All right, we really hope you enjoyed that. A lot of excellent stuff from Hallie, and we enjoyed bringing you a very smart perspective from one of our favorite people who does amazing ministry. Absolutely. Uh, she does, uh, and and all of the uh, volunteers that work with uh, uh, the staff that are not full-time do absolutely pro- high-level professional quality ministry work for us, and we could not be more thrilled. Absolutely, and uh, we hope you enjoyed hearing from one of the... Uh, the ladies from the ministry that we talk about a lot. We're glad Mm -hmm. to bring that to you. So if you did enjoy that and like a little bit more of it, let us know. We might be able to hook that up. All right, move on to our final question here. It comes in to uncleglenn.com, a very popular weblog. Wow. What's the web? (laughs) Series of tubes. (laughs) I had to give him a new one, yeah? Sometimes Mm -hmm. you got to feed the beast there. All right, it comes in. Uncleglenn.com, it says, what is a godly and loving way to establish boundaries with parents as an adult? As I make decisions for myself, I can't help but feel guilty for failing to conform to their expectations. It's challenging not to feel resentment when they're constantly disappointed with me. I know they mean well, but their views aren't always biblical or healthy as I've come to recognize now that I'm an adult. How can I continue to truly love and respect them while asserting my boundaries? And Glenn, as the aforementioned Uncle Glenn to who this came into, why don't you start us off? Well, I think it, it starts by recognizing that loving and respecting them uh, involves setting boundaries, that those things are not contradictory, yeah. that, that one doesn't uh, uh, take away from the other. It's the boundaries that stop you from feeling a low-simmering hate for them all the time, That's which right. is good. That's right. It all works together. See, here's the thing. Um, we need to... Uh, established with all of our families. See, every family has a culture all yeah. its own. And some families have a relatively healthy culture, some uh, profoundly not. If you say so. And uh, par- <laughs> part, of, part of our role as Christians and part of our role as adult uh, children uh, in the way that we deal with our parents is helping our family culture evolve, grow, and change. Mm. If it's unhealthy, it needs to change. And it sounds like that's where you're at. Here's what needs to change. There is love driving your actions, not emotional leverage. Mm-hmm. So that's you need to make that a declaration. You do not have leverage over me by withholding your approval. That's not a thing. Yeah, You do not have that. I do not crave your approval to the extent that you can control my actions and my behavior. Here's what it is. When I do something where I ask you for advice, when I do something where I uh, uh, come to you uh, and um, share my victories, when I come to you and say, I'm thinking about this, I'm thinking about that, I'm doing that because I love you, and I do that because I respect you. I'm not doing that because I want your approval. Uh, wanting that approval would be a selfish thing, and it would have nothing to do with your value as a parent. Mm -hmm. So I'm not coming to you for that. I'm coming to you uh, because I think you have some wisdom for me. That's that's what that is all about. You have to change that by making that intentional. Parents love a nice guilt trip. That's great. It's good stuff. It works. It's easy. Uh, it's, uh, but you're saying, no, this is about love and respect that those are your words. And I think they're great words. That's what needs to come across to your parents. Here's the other thing, and this is going to be uh, tough to hear, but I think it's, it's a really important thing to get a hold of. As long as you need acceptance, you won't get it. Mm-hmm. As long as you need acceptance, That's you right. won't get it. 
Because here's the thing. People will figure out that you need it. And refuse to give it to you. And they'll refuse to give it to you. Well, you know what it is. Jump through this hoop. Sure, then you can have it. Then you can have it. And then you jump through the hoop, and guess what? I got another hoop. There's another hoop for you. And turns out, just keep jumping. There's acceptance. You're almost there. Why quit now? And you think, okay, this is the last hoop, and you jump through it, and there's another hoop. If you need it, if you crave it, if, if it, if it's the one thing that will make you happy, you're never going to get it. People will right. figure out how to withhold that from you. If you let people know, I want your love, and I want to be close to you, and I want to honor you, and I want to help take care of you in your, in your older years, and I want to have a healthy relationship with you, but I'm not responding to guilt, I'm not responding to leverage, and that I feel that love towards you, whether you feel it back towards me or not. Yeah. I don't need that uh, acceptance from you. I, I accept you enough for both of us, that kind of thing. <clears throat> Last thing is I want us to talk about respect a little bit here because respect is different from deference. And I think deference is really more what you have in mind. Uh, deference, uh, deferring to someone else, is letting someone else call shots. That's not respect. That's that's that might be a leadership thing or something, but uh, if, if parents want to call the shots, that that would just be great. If you just did what I tell you to do, then uh, your life would be better. You know, okay. But there comes a point where, as an adult, you need to make decisions for yourself. They need to hand that off to you, and that's right. not happening here. Uh, but that means you're supposed to not defer to them. In that, you're supposed to. Say, Mom and Dad, I want your wisdom. I'll take it under advisement, and I will make the decision because mm. I'm going to be suffering the consequences. I'm That's going right. to be taking care of myself. So um, I'm not deferring to you making the decision for me because that's what growing up is all about, is I, I need to make those decisions for myself. You can respect them within that a great deal, and you should. You say, hey, look, that, that's some good wisdom. I appreciate you giving it to me. And I'm so glad that God put you in my life, and uh, and I I love you for taking the time to share that with me, and I'll give it some thought. Absolutely, I think it's a fantastic place to start. And Lee, I'd love to go to you here. Um, it does seem like one of the things that people who have not done the drawing boundaries thing try to start off with as their first goal is: I would love to draw a boundary in a way that changes behavior, but I would like to do that without tipping my hand that I am annoyed by things. Yeah. I would like to do that without actually expressing any negative emotions I have. And that's kind of just not the way this works, right? Absolutely. As we've talked about so many times on the podcast before, boundaries are about you. It's about you you are making a declaration about what you will um, what you will experience and what you will allow and stuff like that. You're not necessarily going to change this other person, but you're changing the situation for yourself. The thing is, is that <clears throat> for kids who are growing, um, there are so many things that have changed inside your mind, inside yourself, and your parents can't necessarily see that. Sometimes you'll see commercials and stuff where, you know, a dad still sees his grown daughter like she's seven years old. And that really is the way a lot of parents think if they haven't really intentionally seen their child as a grown up. And so you have all these new thoughts and feelings, but you may not have expressed them yet. And here's the deal is there's a tough conversation coming. All the things that Glenn is saying, this is exactly, he's exactly right about how you need to have this conversation. The difference between respect and deference, all that stuff is super, super important. And here's the thing is you're going to have to say all of those things out loud. And nine times out of 10, basically 10 times out of 10, that's going to be a very unpleasant conversation. And because you are saying something to someone that they don't understand and they don't necessarily understand, they don't want to hear, um, it's going to be a difficult thing. There's not a real way that, that you can say this without basically saying to your parents, I don't agree with some of the things that you think and do. People don't handle that kind of stuff well. And I know this sounds like totally bad news, but actually this is a good thing because this is a tough conversation that you're going to have to gear up for and you're going to have to make up your mind that you're going to stand your ground in it. You can do this with kindness. You can do this with a gentle tone of voice. 
but you can do it with strength. And the cool thing is, is that everything good is on the other side of that conversation. Um, I can remember a very specific time when I was in college and I had to have a conversation with my dad like this. We had been uh, living in totally different cities for over a year and a half, and we just had kind of pleasant phone conversations and everything. But at a certain point, he always had like the end of the episode of Full House where he would have a dad moment where he would kind of tell me how it was going to be. None of our listeners have probably ever seen Full House, have they? They've seen the Netflix reboot. Okay. That works. So it was just kind of the, you know, the heartwarming end of the conversation, dad telling you, this is how it's going to be and giving advice and saying, don't do this. You should do that. And I had to have this conversation where I said, dad, um, here's the deal. There are times when I'm going to come to you for advice because there are some things that you understand that I don't. But I need you to know that I am making the decisions for my life now. I'm going to make my decisions about how I spend my money. I'm going to make my decisions about what I study in school. I'm going to make my decisions about, you know, how I spend my free time, all of that kind of stuff. Sometimes I will ask for your advice. If I don't ask for it, that is not an invitation for you to give it in every situation all the time. That was a tough conversation, but the, and and it was not it wasn't something that i looked forward to it's not something that i enjoyed doing at the time but our relationship totally changed after that to where he doesn't just give unsolicited advice now he waits to be asked and that's the kind of situation that you want to move toward is where you can get on the other side of a difficult conversation that funnily enough even though you feel this huge change until you say it out loud and until you set the boundary lines where you're setting them they have not been understood and they won't be respected you're going to have to have this tough conversation but all the freedom that you're looking for is on the other side of it that's a really really important uh, aspect to this whole thing and Jed, I'd love to get you to close us out by um, looking at, I think the place we're going to land on this is asking uh, our friend who wrote in the question, maybe a listener who wrote in the position, something that is unfair of them. Mm. And that is we're going to ask them to be the grownups yep. in their relationship with their parents. Yep. And that's going to mean um, managing, being the ones who do the emotional work to manage this relationship so it can be positive. Yep. But there are some fairly simple ways you can do that if you get some buy-in. And let's look at a couple of those maybe. Absolutely. Well, here's something um, I've heard a number of very wise people say, and it kind of is what undergirds everything I'm about to tell you. Don't underestimate the value of a shallow relationship. Yeah. Shallow relationships are great. Totally. They're, they're really, really good. And here's the key thing. For a lot of people, that's all that's on the table. Um, we, we need to specify something, which is, I think when you're feeling like, you know, let me read this directly from the question. I'm, it's challenging not to feel resentment when my parents are constantly disappointed with me. I think for a lot of people, particularly people who have grown up around church stuff, there is an added pressure, which is my family's probably pretty great. Um, and it's like, if I could just figure out how to, you know, like what my deal is and how to stop being bad, then it could be like super, super great. And, you know, we're coming up, we're, we're approaching, roughly speaking, Mother's Day. And at this point, um, there's an ancient social network called Facebook. Um, you know, I don't, I don't know that anyone young uses it because, you know, they're, they're on Snap app now. I think that's the yes, new it's one. It's the Golden Corral buffet of social media apps. <laughs> but, but if you're ever on Facebook, which you shouldn't be because it's an awful wasteland that no one should ever be on. But if you're on it on Mother's Day, everyone has a post about how their mommy is the best mommy in the whole wide world. And she's not. Mm. She's not. That's, it's a kind of confusing post if you know some people's mommies. Yeah, that's, that's the thing. We know a lot of people's mommies and their relationship with their mommies. And she's not. <laughs> and uh, she's not the best mommy in the whole wide world. Did she do the best that she can? Maybe. Was her best not very good? Probably. That's all right. That's that's the reality most of us are living with. But we need to start by taking off the pressure of I could probably have a perfect Norman Rockwell family if I would just, you know, fix myself. It would because they're probably already basically perfect. And if I could just if I could just really like read like the right Christian book and then do stuff, be great. We need to take that pressure off. Your family has issues. I don't know your family, so I don't know the specific issues, but your family has issues because all families have issues. There are no perfect families, and most families have deep issues. I mean, really profound stuff going on. So for a lot of people, a shallow but consistently positive relationship is not only a good goal, 
it's the only realistic goal that we can shoot for. Yes. The, the idea of the Hallmark thing where it's beautiful and wonderful and mom and dad have really great advice to give and they give it in the right way, that's not realistic. That If that's coming, that's a long ways off. So shallow and positive is good. We want to celebrate that, if nothing else, as a great starting place and nothing to feel guilty about at all. If someone tells you you just need to have faith, God will restore your family, punch them. Right. Not hard. Not hard, but just like a, a, a like a solid sort of jab right on the nose. A love punch. That kind of makes them blink real hard, you know, like this little pop. A little love boop to the snoot. Yeah. Punch them. <laughs> because, again... Positive and shallow is good. Here's the thing. Here's how we do that. And this is this goes to what Matt was talking about in terms of being the adult. The way that we have a positive, shallow relationship with people is we find something that relationship can key off of, and we focus the relationship around that. So, for example, mom really likes cooking. She's, she's a big cooking fan. When we interact with mom, talk about cooking. What's what have we been cooking recently? What's the latest ingredient we tried? What's the latest in hand mixers? I'm not caught up. Tell me about this. Maybe dad's into golf. When we interact with dad, we talk about golf. It's something he wants to talk about. You can feign interest in it. This is great. Everybody yeah. wins. You can actually develop a real interest in it. Now that may sound, well, that sounds, that sounds shallow. It sounds uh, manufactured. No, that's actually really, really good. That's yep. the best most people are capable of anywhere in life. And this is the key thing. It's infinitely better than a situation where people are just sitting around trying not to be awful. Yeah. Right. Because actually no one can succeed at that. Yeah. If if they have a real urge to say and do awful stuff and your key instruction to them is not that, you're going to watch them sitting there vibrating with the desire to right. misbehave. That's right. So, so, so give them something positive to do. And here's the crazy thing. It's no guarantee, but in the very long term, if you interact with dad regularly and it's positive on the subject of golf, you may find the relationship actually deepening. Very slowly, over a long period of time, and this isn't a guarantee, but you may find the relationship actually deepening in healthy ways off of that. But again, do not be afraid to start with a shallow, positive relationship. That's a good thing, and it's something that you can help a broker with your parents. It's a fantastic point. Um, I've been handed by, a legal, by our legal department that we don't condone punching, even if it makes a lot of sense in the moment. Punch them. <laughs> I've also been handed this tap. note. I've also been handed this note by a legal department that if you palm heel strike someone in the kidneys, much less likely to leave a bruise. Oh, <laughs> but it does get your point across. Good tip. I don't think our lawyers are very good. <laughs> a lot okay. of really fantastic stuff on that. And I think the the flip side of what Jed is saying there about is what Jed's really talking about there at the end is putting these people in a position where they can succeed. That's right. That's right. a low bar. And the, the equal and opposite measure of that is don't put them in a position where you know they're going to fail. That's correct. And it seems like, and again, this is going to have to be a slow build. We want to just give them another shot and maybe they won't suck this time. And that's probably not going to work. If you're, if every, the response to every bit of bad news is, well, maybe if you just try harder, we have to stop looking to these people for consolation yeah. when things go wrong. That's not really going to work. I have, People in my family, I love them dearly. They're not deadline people. Right. They're not like set a time to do something and then be in that place at that time, people. Mm -hmm. So uh, at some point, about a decade ago, I just gave up on them ever coming through on any plans they made. Right. And it turns out much happier. Yeah. I don't resent them. And they they don't have to feel my uh, righteous and holy anger pouring into the side of their head as I stare at them. <laughs> right. Because... This didn't happen. And it's the same way. And again, we, we do want to acknowledge that that is unfair to ask of you as the child to do these things, to be this management, but that's the hand we're dealt. And it really is, as Jed is pointing out, it is the best shot you have. It's not a guarantee, but it's the best path to something better in the long term. Because what we're talking about is hitting a full reset button, as Glenn often mentions. Um, uh, parental relationship 1.0 did not go well. Right. We are much better basically trying to get all the way back to zero and start off as mildly warm acquaintances. Yeah, and you're setting them up to succeed. That's yeah, a big part and, of it, yeah. And that you can go from success to success on that, yep. as opposed to just 
running into the same brick wall over and over again. What also actually, it gives you a nice out too, which is if you say, I know you love me and I know you love golf and I would like to have a relationship where we regularly interact and talk about golf. And if the answer to that is, oh, screw that. Now it's a different conversation entirely. And also uh, when when dad, you know what I don't like about that Tiger Woods, I'm going to be going now because you're trying to turn golf golf time into not golf time. Right, right. Didn't agree to that. All right, so a lot of Great stuff there to take out. If you have a question for us, say that podcast at gmail.com, thebridgechicago.tumblr.com. It is, I don't know if you heard, uh, it's Holy Week. Ah. It's holier than other weeks. So we're going to take out with a song this week. This is a new version of an old hymn called The Old Rugged Cross. A lot of our friends helped us create for our Bridge Loud radio Mm. program. Comes out every Friday on the podcast feed. You want to check that out. You can check out Call FM. Sunday nights at 9 p.m. every week. Bridge Loud, take out that. Thanks for listening. Just remember, we love you. God loves you. There's nothing you can do about it. To say that podcast on the front lines of weaponizing autonomous non-drone technology. Nice. <laughs> nice. <laughs> on a hill.